This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z out of Brisbane, Australia. So we have in the studio today the pleasure of having Dr. Lisa Stafford here, who is an inclusive communities researcher at QT. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you here too. And um, first of all, I want to talk to you a little bit about your life and how you got to be a researcher. Um, well, it's been a bit of a journey. Uh, I actually, once I sort of did my undergrad um, in social science, um, I actually was in the field for a while, so I worked for the department, and that was a really great opportunity. So, Which I, department was that? Oh, it's had many name changes now, and doesn't actually exist anymore now, Display Services Queensland, but yeah, um, I started with Display Services Queensland at the time, and I was lucky moving, working in the Moving Ahead program, so I worked with young people with disabilities and transitioning into, yes, the and, next phase. And is of that life. where you got your interest in playgrounds? Um, it came a little bit longer when we were looking at, um, yeah, certainly family support and, um, you know, just a lot of the barriers that families face besides, you know, direct care was, um, is actually being able to go out and enjoy, um, all the different environments that everyone takes for granted. So, mm. and plays one of those things for children plays an amazing learning space for all different, um, all different needs and and it's a place for families to be families and connect so we knew that was a significant barrier and that's one that's an environmental barrier that can't be resolved by just providing support it actually needed a whole a different approach and that's where the playgrounds came about and I think it was 2003 so a long time ago um, we actually got to do our first playground which was um, the Landsborough All Abilities Playground at Pioneer Park Ah, can you tell us first of all what are some of the challenges of the average playground? Because I know they're really based around a lot of climbing, aren't they? Yeah, look, um, playgrounds. If you look at the traditional playground itself, it's pretty boring these days. There's um, not much to do. It's pretty static equipment. Um, so for all children, it's sort of devoid of you know things like nature play and stuff like that. But for a child with a disability, it's even more. Um, you know, it has significant number of barriers. So yeah, so around climbing, um, but it's not even just climbing. It's just this really static idea of this is play. This is this fixed idea of play, and it doesn't allow children just to just have the freedom to do their own thing and explore and do what they do when they play. So, what sort of things did you do different at the Landsborough Playground? Yeah. So first of all, it was um, child-led. So children with disabilities and their families were the key drivers behind that. So. Um, we made sure that it was a what we call participatory design, which means just people, the end users are actually part of and leading that design process. Um, so that was key um, because the problem that we have is when you don't design for end users, we get the problems we get today, mm. um, which is environments that don't work. Yeah, um, yeah. And just the NDIS is a good example of that, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Absolutely. Not really asking people what they need or not listening to them. So people who have disabilities are the ones who know best what they need, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's such a diversity amongst us. So, you know, it's not just, um, you know, the perceived ideas of what disability is. It's, you know, we need sensory play. We need, um, you know, interactional play and we need physical. There's whole different ways in which um, we need from our environments. And, you know, it's not just all about this active play idea where running, jumping, sliding, um, and not all of us like to run, jump and slide either. No, not, not at all. <laughs> so could you describe for us, for the listeners, um, some of the things they might find if they went to the Lansborough Playground, for instance? Yes, yeah, so that was one of the, f- like, that was one of the first that was, um, there was other, er- other playgrounds around in Victoria and um, 
was one I think in Queensland, but it was a whole different way of approaching it. So one of the key themes was actually looking at play value. So what's the value in play? So when we think about that, it's not just about like uh, running or something like that, but what do you get from it? What's the thrill? What's the excitement? Um, so we included sensory gardens. So, you know, it's not just about, so children could, you know, play, you know, play with flowers, smell, tactile. So they had the tactile. Plants you're allowed to touch. Yes, yes, oh, there's no, no so touching unusual, sign. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And why is that? You yeah. know, so, um, so a lot of thought went into that. There was um, a flying fox because flying is one of those things that kids love. And um, But to make it ex- inclusive and accessible, what we did was come up with, and this was done with the whole collaboration, so it was with council as well, Back then it was Caloundra City Council and um, Abby was the great landscape architect we worked with and also Playwork. So it was a combination of trying to work together because not a lot of the equipment was around then. Mm, you couldn't just get something off the shelf that fit the bill? No. So we looked at a harness type seat, so high back support with a, like, you know, in a car seat with a harness mm-hmm. um, so it could hold people in and give upper body support, which was really critical for a lot of um, children who weren't able to access a pummel seat, which is like you... S- Everyone was had, you know, you put the, your legs through around that pole and hold on. Um, so that's not accessible for many. So that was really cool. So that was one of the innovations we came so up with. So that's a kind of swing you're talking about there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a seat that enables then to, to experience the flying fox, but in a supportive way. Mm. Um, there was also a carousel that was done, again, with the harness seats, um, but, you know, three seats together. So cooperation and then oh. kids spinning together and stuff like that. I think I've seen one like that in the botanic gardens in the city. There's one that I think uh, even a wheelchair can go on to. Yeah. It, it spins around. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, there's a whole range. And it's th- where, we've, where we were in 2003 to where we are now, there's been huge developments. So it's really gone ahead, has it? Yeah. Absolutely. And um, after you were involved in that project, you went on to do some research around this then, did you? What's um, your play research involved? So the recent one that we've just done, which is, um, I suppose, why we connected, wasn't it? Because you saw the website. Yeah. So one of the things is, so we know what's wrong with a lot of the traditional playgrounds. There's quite a bit of research now that says what's wrong in terms of inclusion. So... But there's been this um, a movement in Australia and overseas where we've created these inclusive play spaces, like the one Landsborough. Then we did 16 others around Queensland. Um, that was managed. Um, but we didn't have any real research on this. We haven't actually done the evaluations of are these playgrounds actually doing what they say they were doing. Um, so that's what we set out to do with this pilot project, was actually starting to... Yeah, from children's perspectives, whether they support them to play. So that was... And you took a really novel approach to getting that information out of children instead of asking them because they're not going to be able to think of it on the spot, really, most kids. <laughs> no, and um, and that's exactly right. That's one of the biggest barriers is that when we do evaluations, called call them post-occupancy evaluations, is they're not done through accessible methods. So for children, they're getting a ticket box survey and they'll... That's not, you know... Um, yeah, it's boring too. It's boring and it's not available to everyone. Yeah. So what we did was actually, well, how do you see if what children do while they play? Well, give them GoPros and um, and let them show you and, tell, and take you around. And that's what we did. So when they were filming, they were able to tell you what was good and bad about things? Um, yes, yeah, some children. So because we were really about making sure diversity of voice... And when we say voice, it's not just verbal. So mm. children tell us in all different ways, and we're highly recognised recognised that that's we don't always, you know, depend on the verbal voice. Um, so 
I think five of our children had what we call complex communication needs. So they communicate other than yeah. through different means other than speech. So for them, it was about giving them the camera so they could show through their own play rather than telling us. But there were some children that also took us on the tours and actually told <laughs> us exactly what they were doing as well. So it was allowing the children to show us rather than telling, you know, having a prescribed idea of how do you actually... So they could demonstrate with their videos what didn't work for them by trying it and you could see that they couldn't use it. Yeah, or, um, or, yeah, or how they just wanted to take time out so they would just go and, you know, hide or, um, hide or you know, just get away or just have space or they would, um, if they wanted to join another um, group that were playing, how they went and approached that and asked could they join in. Yeah. Um, there was also... Um, a lot of the times it's not just always about go, go, go. Children also take time out and observe and that's one of the really strong things that we were able to see through the videos was that, you know, it might look like on on a GPS tracker or accelerometer that they're not moving, they're not active, but what they were doing when we were watching it through their eyes was that they were observing and figuring out and, and looking out what's the next thing to do. And what um, the other kids were doing. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a really part of play that yeah. we don't talk about all the time. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of kids who are shy or maybe on the spectrum don't want to always be interacting with other people and they prefer to sit back and watch and see what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. every time you go to a playground, it's a new new situation, new lot of people that you're having to negotiate and navigate through. So mm, Stressful socially. What do we it? all do? We generally do sit back and watch sometimes don't yeah. we you don't just always jump in it's just like that for everyone so, so when you were planning the park you needed to play, make places for that to happen absolutely and um and that's when we looked at all three sites so we did one in Ballarat in Victoria one in Penrith in New South Wales and we did the Landsborough run up here mm-hmm. and the common factors particularly Ballarat and Landsborough was they had a big open space area so grass area where you could run kick a ball take some time out, have picnics. And that was the whole play area was actually enclosed in a fence. Mm-hmm. So not just a crilling equipment like we see at McDonald's, but this whole big massive perimeter of hectare of land was fenced. So that gave um, children the freedom and also parents the... Yeah, so worried about <laughs> yeah, them running on the road. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that was a really important feature um, is the fencing yeah. as well. So that came up strong. Wow. So um, is that that research that's on, people can watch those videos, can't they, some of them? Yeah, so that was really important for us. Um, We're not just writing another article that no one would read, (laughs) but we really wanted to communicate that the children took the time to show us and how do we actually then show others what's really important. And so planners or local governments and stuff that are actually um, trying to work out and plan um, the next playground as they can actually look at this and actually go, well, okay, we can actually learn directly from the children themselves. and yeah. So have you seen that research make change yet? It's only just sort of happened. Yeah. We've only just <laughs> launched it. So, But over the years, I mean, like even back to where we were 2003 to now, like there's been significant change from having those ideas. Mm. Um, but as I said, like um, Queensland here, we led it. You know, we the government invested yeah. a significant amount of money in 2006 and we saw another 16 between 2007 to 2010. So you were key to that change by the sound of it? Oh, me and um, others and I was I was in a lucky position to be able to manage and, and implement that whole statewide project. So there's a lot of people involved in that. But yes, yeah, certainly um, 
having that ability to implement was really significant. So that research, can you tell us what it's called and if people can go and have a look at it on on your website? Um, Definitely. So it's making place spaces inclusive. Um, dot wordpress.com so if you google that you should be able to find it if not um, they can access it through my e-prints listening to Only Human on 4ZZZ and Z Digital. Finn, what was that song we just listened to? That was Leave It All Behind by Mojo Juju and Jolistics. We had the pleasure of seeing Mojo Juju a few weeks ago, didn't we, at QPAC? Yeah, that's great. It was really pretty good, yeah. And the lights were also awesome. <laughs> but the storytelling was the important part. <laughs> um, we're in the studio today with Dr Lisa Stafford, who is an inclusive communities researcher from QUT. And we've been talking about her research about playgrounds and uh, what, what makes an accessible playground. So, Lisa, you, uh, you've just finished one lot of research about playgrounds, the one that you've allowed people to, children to film how they use the playground with cameras, but you're moving on to some more research in this area. What have you got up next? Um, so one of the other areas that we've been working is, is not just about play spaces, but a lot of what we call is social infrastructure. So parks, um, townships, town centres, um, footpaths, neighbourhood design, all those sort of broader issues, access to transport. Um, so how we actually design our communities is a significant um, concern as well. So mm. playgrounds are a part of that, but there's a broader issues about how do we actually design and plan our communities that are inclusive for everyone. And so this is one of the things, unfortunately, we've learned for a long time as well through other research is that um, a lot of the times it's not really inclusive for children with disabilities, it's not inclusive for families, and it's not inclusive for our older people with disabilities um, as well, or people with disabilities generally. So um, so what it means is people can't, you know, um, fully participate in everyday society and people, t- and for others, they take a lot of it for granted in terms of being able to just walk down your street, go to the shop or... Um, mm. Yeah, steps so, and whatnot aren't a barrier. Exactly. So, so it's working with local councils um, and we're trying to look at it from a planning perspective. So before we get into design, a lot of it comes to planning. So how do we actually start thinking and planning broadly about our communities? And then design comes later. So that's about asking the communities what they need and what they want? Absolutely. Yeah. And having communities really driving that. Because mm. um, after all, it's we live in it. Um, so it's about making sure that um, everyone benefits from really good planned communities and access to infrastructure. And from the council's perspective, surely it's cheaper to make everything accessible from get-go than it is to retrofit things? Oh, absolutely. Retrospective um, fixing our problems is, yeah, um, it's really expensive and it doesn't have to happen. Mm. And most of the times, if you actually plan from the beginning, you're not um, doing expensive costs. The other thing is it benefits everyone. So say footpaths, for instance, on every street Mm. instead of what it is now, the hierarchy of streets. If you've got a local street, you may not have a footpath or it might be just on one side. Um, And so what happens is how that influences people just walking and interacting. Um, And so what we know uh, is that if you start putting footpaths, for example, is that not only are children um, and older people with disabilities or anyone with disabilities particularly mobility impairments, are going to um, benefit from that. But if you're a mum with a pram and a small toddler, you're going to want to do with it as well. Um, the other thing is, do we always want to walk on roads? Yeah. So 
Um, so it's really about, and that's just a tiny small example, um, thinking about our town centres even um, in regional areas. Um, towns are really important. It's where you come together and hub and, you know, um, and a lot of the time it's not just about fast moving through. Let's take some pause, let's stop, let's enjoy what's around. Um, but how often do we have really comfortable seating that's in the shade mm, that actually yeah. supports people just to sit and interact. Yeah, the issue of how hot it is in Queensland, for instance, and the materials you make the the, the furniture out of, the mm-hmm. garden furniture, park furniture, that must be a real issue for accessibility too, because I know I'm not going to sit on a stainless steel bench in the hot sun. Mm. Absolutely. There's so many things in t- um, that you can think about. Um, shade is so important for mm. its cooling effect. Mm. Um, and we live, yeah, we live in Queensland, <laughs> so, and it ain't getting cooler. So you no, know. it is not. And so it's so working with communities to actually start identifying. Well, what do we mean by inclusive communities? That's one of the big part of the work is because we talk about it, but what does it actually mean? So is this the research that you have been given a grant to do? Yes, that's correct. That so, is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic winning um, an Australian Research Council grant mm. for my DECRA. Um, so. Absolutely, because these are longer projects and so it allows us to do the work over three years to really take time to actually, what do we mean by inclusive communities, then how do we actually do it? Yeah, so do you have any idea how you're going to go about doing that yet? Yeah, well, we're just about to start next year. So three councils have sort of um, have signed up and really excited and we've been working with them. So we're just about to... Um, call for expressions of interest soon um, to have local advisory groups of people with disabilities leading the process because we really need localised knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're hoping to call for that by the end of the week. So Gympie Regional Council and in Queensland and Clarence City Council in Tasmania um, too and we're just about to call for expressions of interest. So if you're listening in Gympie and you have a child with a disability and you're interested in accessible or an adult with a disability and you're interested in accessible uh, spaces... Look out for Lisa Stafford's new research coming up soon. So how long do you think this this research is going to take you? Um, Well, it's three years, starting like with three years for data. So we'll be starting next year um, and everyone in the community. So because disability is not just uh, um, for a person with disability, it's everyone. Um, needs to be a part of the um, solution and part of its attitude change. We know attitude and stigma is really significant and trying to break that down. Um, but really general community, as I said, if we have good design communities, everyone benefits. So it upholds the rights of people with disabilities, but at the same time, and actually good design, we all win. So so in your focus groups, you're inviting people who do not, do not have a disability as well to come yeah. along and participate? So the research will involve all different different types of how, how you can be involved, whether it's a survey, whether it's um, a camera project where you want to take photos and submit photos or video um, or doing storyboarding is another way of doing it. So that's sort of different methods we'll be looking at starting next year to try and find out well what is an inclusive community to oh, it you. It sounds like an, an awesome storytelling project on its own, really. <laughs> it will be. And, um, and so, yeah, the general community, um, obviously people with disabilities leading that and also um, family members and, yeah, and obviously council. Okay, it's almost time for us to uh, finish talking to you, but can you tell people who are listening who are like fired up now to find out all about Inclusive Playgrounds, where they can find out more about your research, uh, past and upcoming? Yeah, so, um, so what I could do is um, link. So if you look up Lisa Stafford um, e-prints, <laughs> that we have all our information there. But as I mentioned before, making 
play um, making play spaces inclusive we have a YouTube channel with all the videos on there mm -hmm. um, and there that links back to my page as well which you can find some publications and we're just about to launch our um, inclusive our planning inclusive communities okay and I could probably put those links on our Facebook page for only human as well that would be fantastic dr. Lisa Stafford you're welcome to hang around for the rest of the show but thank you so much for um, talking to us today very interesting and I look forward to seeing more inclusive playgrounds in Australia wherever I go Thank you so much, Kim. You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.